Hello and welcome to Ear Read This. Uh, I'm Ash. And I'm Adam. And uh, today we are not talking about Shakespeare. We're not talking about the slaughter of whales in Japan. We're talking about another book. We've discovered there's other authors. Yeah, I always, I always thought the ones that we always reference on this show were the only ones. The, yeah, there were three. There was Ian Rankin. Caroline Duffy. And Shakespeare. <laughs> Just the three of them. And all equally good. <laughs> um, today we are talking about To the Hebrides by... Sam, Samuel Johnson and James Boswell's joint journals. Yes. So a bit of an awkward one to date because... Um, Samuel Johnson wrote his recollection of their tour of the Western Isles in 1775. Boswell wrote his 10 years later, and this collection was gathered... When was this one put together? This oh, this this one was published pretty recently, actually. This one was... Boom, 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 2007. 2007. Okay. So I don't know what the hell I'm going to put in the episode tag. Um, three dates, or shall I write 1775 <clears throat> to 2007 and make it look like it took... <laughs> I think put I think put 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 seventeen seventy five because they did the tour in seventeen seventy three and yeah, the, yeah, the first yeah. thing they published about it was seventy five and okay. I think that both editions weren't they weren't fully complete no when they were originally published because they both wrote libelous and inflammatory things <laughs> about the monarchy it's right up our street eat each other yeah uh, the people who they, whose hospitality they enjoyed from the from the start we, sh- we should say not to talk about ourselves too much we'll get this out of the way but since you recommended this yeah and i think part of the reason you recommended this is we have had a running joke about the fact that <laughs> our uh, personalities seem to on the podcast at least <laughs> seem to correspond quite well with that of samuel johnson and james boswell should we start with giving a bit of background on them. Yeah, so I'll do, I'll do Boswell. Okay. Well, Boswell was Edinburgh-born, Edinburgh-raised. His father was a pretty important lawyer of the time, mm-hmm. and he intended his son to be the same. And so we sent him off to train in the Netherlands, which was unusual. I think most lawyers were sent to train in France, mm. but I don't think he was a particularly good scholar, so he was sent to a, a sort of second-rate Go back to the Netherlands. Go to the Netherlands, why don't you? And he um, France won't have you. But while he was there, he got a taste for the continent and the finer things in life. And he wrote. He he started writing diaries and journals. Yeah. From his very early twenties, mm. all the way up until his death. <clears throat> and he ended up touring around Europe after he graduated. He came back to Scotland. And he decided there wasn't anything here for him. Yeah, and then he went on the grand tour, which took him round the cultural epicenters of the time, which were Paris, um, Vienna, Rome. Rome. Uh, I think he spent a bit of time in the south of France as well. Mm-hmm. But along the way, he met a litany of the most famous there's, names of their I th- time. I think there's maybe the best and most spectacular bit of casual name dropping in this book that I've ever read. Yeah, right as they're about to set off on this tour. He just out of nowhere says, I mentioned our design to Voltaire. <laughs> you do not insist on my accompanying you. No, sir. Then I am very willing you should go. <laughs> well, this arm. Um, out of absolutely nowhere. Well, I think I, I can't remember if it was Vienna or Rome that he met up with Voltaire. Yeah. But he travelled back to the UK with Voltaire's mistress, who he had an affair with on the way back. Bloody Boswell. Boswell writes very candidly about the I mean, STIs he picks up. Oh, right. And he's one of the foremost primary sources for just an honest view of the time. Of Somebody writes, yeah, for <laughs> the first. <laughs> yeah. And I think he's just, um, I think he's brilliantly honest. The History of English Syphilis by James Boswell. Boswell. <laughs> With primary study of yeah. myself. But so uh, he's also a bit of a lad. He's a bit of a lad. He's actually, he's actually a, lad a lad as well. Um, yeah, he's um, the Scottish nobility. Orkinleck, is that how you pronounce it? Orkinleck. Orkinleck, you're from Scotland. Oh, no, no, uh, Affleck. Affleck. Affleck, because of of course it is. Oh, really? Is that um, really how you pronounce it? Yeah. You're being serious? I have to trust you, because you're from Scottish. I'm from Scottish. (laughs) There's there's a street around the corner from where my parents live called um, Affleck Bray, and it's it's often Affleck. It's pronounced A-U, sorry, spelt A-U. As in Ben Affleck. Wow, As in Affleck, yeah. Okay. He's also a bit of a drinker, as we're going to find out. As we're going to find out. He does He does um, like a tipple. Yeah. And uh, we should say that whilst they went on the trip together, he's writing 10 years after yes. the trip. He's also writing one year after Johnson's death. Yes. I think that's probably what prompted him to actually get it done. Yeah. But I do think that 
in all of Boswell's writing, he does seem to, he's either making it up and having a lie about it, or he really does have an eidetic memory. Yeah. Because he seems to be able to write down conversations in their entirety. Well, much like a good testament to Shakespeare writing his own plays instead of all of this nonsense mm-hmm. is Ben Johnson, his rival playwright. Uh-huh never mentioning it if, yes. i mean if he got wind of the fact that shakespeare maybe didn't write his own plays ben johnson would have yeah. slagged that around the town as, <laughs> as quickly as you could i think one of the best testaments to boswell's writing is the fact that johnson this johnson yeah. looks at his writing and says that's brilliant this is you're a great yeah. diarist quite frequently actually oh yeah well, at least he, a couple um, of times here because he, he he frequently rips the piss out of boswell for being scottish yeah, yeah. <laughs> basically <laughs> and i think they they, they first met he was introduced like it's at a gentleman's club, yep. and Boswell was introduced to Johnson. Johnson was like, "Why have you brought this Scotsman before me? Who the hell's this?" Well, yeah, yeah. But then, what well, I think it, it would be remiss to mention what Boswell is probably most famous for, which yes. was writing the the first popular and potentially the best ever biography. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Did you notice towards the end of the book, Samuel Johnson makes a casual remark to Boswell? And I didn't know the dates of his publication, so I wondered if he'd included this deliberately. But he says to Boswell, I know of no biography of a literary figure that is well written. Yeah. And I wondered if Boswell put that in as like, well, I've just gone and written the best I've just one. Written the and best it's one. of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, because I think that Boswell's, Boswell's biography of Johnson, which you very kindly got me for Christmas. Yes. Thank you very much. As well as that poem of uh, James Patterson. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think. That pa- was your main present. Pa- 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 Patterson is a more thoughtful present. <laughs> yeah. But. Um, yeah, it, it opens with um, uh, a quote from Adams, where basically he says that there is no no finer man of letters in the English mm. language ever than Samuel Johnson. So, should we just do a quick intro of him? Give do a quick intro. I, I mean, you know, he, I have, he probably needs less intro than Boswell, does, but yeah. we should do one anyway. Um, you know, I have a serious issue with. Um, Making Blackadder references—it's very <laughs> difficult now. Well, I think I—I do think that I do think the portrayal of Johnson in—it's unforgettable, isn't it? In that in season three of Blackadder is—it's yeah. it, it, it is incredible, and I think they they they, they probably got a lot of it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've, I felt like they did. Although, interestingly, uh, well, so Boswell's probably best known for writing the life of Johnson. Uh-huh. Johnson is probably best known for writing. The dictionary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, in the Blackadder episode, he's taunted by Blackadder, who makes up loads of words. I was fascinated by the fact that halfway through this, he fesses up to making a few of his own. Yeah. He almost seems like I, he's not oh, a drinker. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> fuck. Um, yeah. So, so Boswell's a bit older. He is called by... Sorry, Johnson's a bit older. Bos- he's described by Boswell as perhaps the most well-known man alive. At the time, Which in, in, in England, he probably was. Quite astonishing. Um, and here's just a quick description of him. He says something like, um, there's no point describing him, be- him because he is uh, the, be- the best known man alive. But anyway, I will. <laughs> His person was large, robust, I may say approaching to the gigantic and grown unwieldy from corpulency. His countenance was naturally of the cast of an ancient statue, but somewhat disfigured by the scars of the evil which it was formerly imagined the royal touch could cure. Which I think is scrofula. Well, he was. Um, he, he, he was. Uh, Johnson was actually taken at the time to the Queen, I think, and really? he was. He was. He was. She was. She touched him, and that, they thought that that would cure scrofula. That would cure his scrofula. And he used to complain about it. That it, yeah. he used to complain that it didn't cure his she scrofula. Didn't touch me, right? <laughs> Um, He was now in his 64th year and becoming a little dull of hearing. His sight had always been somewhat weak, yet so much does mind govern and even supply the deficiency of organs that his perceptions were uncommonly quick and accurate. His head, and sometimes also his body, shook with a kind of motion like the effect of palsy. He appeared to be frequently disturbed by cramps or convulsive contractions uh, of of the nature of that distemper called St... St. Vincent's Dance, which is now popularly believed to be Tourette's. Yeah, so you were telling me about this ages ago when we were planning that. I had no idea that he so they've they've done Tourette's. They, they they've done a sort of post post mortem diagnosis yeah. of Tourette's based on people's descriptions of him, and he he had tics. He would have no filter, and he'd frequently speak his mind. Yeah, and that's probably probably how he earned his reputation by he had he had he he, he had the quick wit, but also didn't have the ability to hold himself back from saying these things yeah. and that made him a famous he says at one point i think i spoke rather ostentatiously <laughs> <tonight."> <laughs> um 
so he was a big guy as well. At yep. one point, he has to. Um, there's a great sly little quote from Boswell. He's um, coming down the hill. It was suggested that Mr. Johnson rode alternate horses. <laughs> <laughs> I, oh, well, I think I think I think they estimated him to be about maybe six foot or six foot one. Yeah, so which he, I think for the time was giant. Big, big all round. I also I am convinced. Sorry to make another telly reference this early into a into a book podcast, but I am convinced the makers of the trip had this in mind. Yes, we've we we, we have discussed this before, yeah. and I think that the the comic pairing of two two genuine friends, yeah. but one of whom is very not 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 pretentious, but so so learned that they forget themselves. Yeah, and then also having somebody who. Acting, al- acting almost as a straight man, yeah. who's about about as quick as the other one, but also has the self awareness to be able to yeah. examine the situation, and that is a not breeding- as famed and fated, yes. yeah, not, and that's a breeding ground for great comedy, yeah, and also a a genuine friendship, as you say, but also as there is a, a strong hint of ge- of melancholy yes. and um, thoughts about death and that kind of thing, which we'll get into. Yeah. Well, I think that to to preface the start of the tour, this tour was conceived as an idea because. Johnson also wanted to do the Grand Tour, mm. but he spent the majority of his life in crushing amounts of debt because he really did come from nothing and he was allowed to live based on a pension granted to him by the king yeah. because of his work on the dictionary. Yeah. But he never managed to get the funds together to go further than Paris. And yeah. him and Boswell went to Paris and it was, a, it was a short trip. But within that biography you gave me, there is the collected short notebook of Johnson's trip to yeah. Paris. And he makes them just amazing predictions about the way the revolution will go yeah and so he was i i think there was no there, there wasn't it was not all bluster he really was maybe that good yeah yeah so he he does go to wales and to france as you say i can't remember if it was boswell who said this or this was collected in notes but th- they were considered sort of not quite as interesting tours because he he stayed with rich people um and boswell <laughs> Boswell sort of showed him a, a slightly different kind of life and created more interesting observations yeah. out of him by showing him. Also, we should say, we're heading into a Scotland that's hurting. <laughs> yeah. This is a damaged uh, Scotland forced into a union. The clan system shattered. So this 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 is after the 1745 Jacobite uprising. Yeah, but it's, I mean, 30 years, but it must be recent memory. Well, these Living this, memory, certainly. This is... The kilts had been stripped away. Have they? What was what? What was the year of the Treaty of the Union? Um, that's I think that's seventeen oh seven. That's before. Yeah. And then so the then Jacobite uprising, Jacobite uprising was seventeen forty five. Crescendos at seventeen forty five. But yeah. the um oh god my my Scottish history. Yeah, my Scottish history gets quite terrible sometimes. But I do think the Scottish army made their way pretty far into England and then turned back on bad advice. Yeah, that sounds right. Mine's probably. And even I worse think I, and, and, and I think there was a a big feeling of a massive missed opportunity yeah. around this time. So there's a lot of big anti-English sentiment mm. and vice versa. The Eng- there's a massive anti-Scottish sentiment in England right now. Yeah. So Samuel Johnson famed Scotch, as he insisted on calling them, hater. Yeah. And Boswell, sympathetic, but probably somewhere in there there's a proud Scotsman. Because I thought it was sort of over the top. When they're setting off, well, when they're in Edinburgh before they set off, they, uh, he, when they're sitting off, his Boswell's wife says something like, "Sky is a bad country," yeah. and um, Johnson says, uh, "Madam, we do not go there as to paradise. We go to see something different from what we're accustomed to see." Perfect. It sounds like warriors. It sounds very kind of Middle Earthy. Well, I'm assuming that Johnson thought himself to be some sort of adventurer pushing the boundaries. Yeah, at which this point. Uh, until I realised how close that. Culloden thing is yeah. it sounds sort of ridiculous he also he brings along pistols gunpowder and a load of bullets yeah but he is convinced by Boswell to leave them <laughs> leave them with his wife yeah. um, well because there's the um they, they, they end up traveling with a with a company of Highlanders for mm. protection yeah because he he is a massive target yeah well obviously yeah literally so, as well yeah so um, I think it's so the 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 preface to the trip is that Boswell has been trying to convince Johnson to make this trip for ages. Yeah. And the way he does it, as he outlines in this, is that he gets a whole load of luminary Scottish people to write Samuel Johnson <laughs> yeah, saying, really sycophantic letters yeah, yeah. to get him to come visit them and their universities and their libraries and their stately homes. 
and Johnson is won over by the fact that he is he's wanted and he might get attention up there. So in I think the the first page, Boswell outlines how Johnson is accompanied. He's accompanied as far as Newcastle, yeah, by some academics to make him feel comfortable. Yeah, and then is that where the, there's a really lovely quote? I mean, there's so much again a bit like the trip. There's so much about friendship in it, particularly between Boswell and and mm. Johnson. But he also has Johnson remarks. I think it's of the person who accompanies accompanies them as far as Newcastle, or it might be someone who accompanies them from Edinburgh to Inverness. But mm-hmm. I, I can't remember. But it's a character who's not with them for very long, and he remarks, "A gentleman who could stay with us long enough to make us know how much we lost by his leaving us," <laughs> which is perfect. Which is perfect, and also sort of so grand and yeah. Well, I think that when when <laughs> when Johnson gets to Edinburgh, and Boswell is informed that. Johnson has arrived mm. he's like oh fuck I'd better get over there really quickly before he does something and he gets there and there's already been a kerfuffle yeah and uh, Boswell walks Johnson through the streets of Edinburgh yeah. and all Johnson can think to talk about is how bad Edinburgh smells yeah and yeah. at that time I think they hadn't even thought about a sewer system the breweries the were going of Edinburgh. the effluvia of Edinburgh yeah. so it probably would have probably would have stunk so yeah Boswell definitely has reason to suspect um, Johnson is a bit biased against Scotland. Yes. The two two bits that jump out quite early is um, amongst lots of long-winded remarks, two very tart, quick ones. We stopped in Dundee, where I remember nothing remarkable. Yeah, he, does, does, doesn't he describe Dundee as dirty? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hasn't changed much. No. Well, uh, um, we came to Banff, where I remember nothing that particularly claimed my attention. <laughs> well, because they um, leaving from Edinburgh, they cross the Forth, and they visit the islands on the Forth. Mm-hmm. And to this day, there is nothing there but like an abbey. Yeah. There used to be some monks there. And Johnson's just like, if there was an island like this in the Thames, the English would have built something useful on it. Yeah. Like it would have been claimed by industry or by someone who would be living on it. But yeah. in Edinburgh, he's like, oh, they've, they've got this amazing defensible landmass in the middle of their estuary and they're fucking wasting it. They're wasting it, the barbarians. <laughs> also, this, this directly after that begins the, the running theme of the book about Samuel Johnson's bafflement that there are no trees in Scotland. Yes. Constantly. He complains that he's not... Between Edinburgh and Dundee, he he remembers individual trees. Yeah. And he's like, no no, no gentleman should be able to remember this tree or that tree. (laughs) Yeah. He also says, a tree might be a show in Scotland as a horse in Venice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that goes on a bit. And uh, Boswell gets kind of apologetic in his... Later recollections saying he did he he didn't see as many trees as we've got He's, we've definitely got more trees than Johnson <laughs> we, says we just went round the... I received letters from all over Scotland saying ah we've got trees what's he on about <laughs> and uh, I, I think I think that they stuck to the coast and the coast in Scotland tend to be kind of blasted, blasted moors yeah and also heavily deforested I think yeah. all, all of the forests are collected in the centre of the country and mm. I think they they went so they they, they travelled anti clockwise. Right, we should probably roughly outline the route. Yeah, so there is a helpful map right at the start. There of is this. a helpful map. So they set off uh, what, from what, what page is it on? It's on page one. <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> help you really because there's loads of. Is this is this page one after, after XXV? The, yeah, there we yeah, go. Yeah. Yeah. So they set off from Edinburgh. Yep. They head up to St Andrews, Dundee, which gets that one gets sentence description. Ab- Aberdeen, which gets no more than a paragraph as well. Aberdeen gets. A fair bit, I think. Well, because I think they, they, they talk about Not Aberdeen when much. they're there. Yeah. And then on the whole way round to Inverness, they're talking Slagging about Aberdeen. Yeah, how crap it was. Uh, then they go to Inverness. So they follow the east coast up, cross down to Fort Augustus, and then sort of straight across... To the Hebrides. Yeah. Glen... Um, Glen... 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 I've got a, re- I've got a really interesting reading, because Glen Sheel is when Johnson starts to get into it. Yeah, he did, yeah. Is yeah. when he, he, he sits down and he takes his shoes off and he puts his feet in a river yeah. and he's like, okay, I, I get it now. Yeah. Do you want to give, give yeah, that I'll reading? Yeah, I'll give you that one now. So they, they, they've come down from Fort, Fort Augustus mm. and they've entered a, a narrow valley. As the day advanced towards noon, we entered a narrow valley, not very flowery, but sufficiently verdant. Our guides told us that the horses could not travel all day without rest or meat and entreated us to stop here because no grass would be found in any other place. The request was reasonable and the argument cogent. We therefore willingly dismounted and diverted ourselves as the place gave us opportunity. I sat down on a bank, such as a writer of romance might have delighted to feign. (laughs) I'm actually doing it and they all I'm actually doing it, but I'll I'll get a slight dig in at writers of romance. 
I had indeed no trees to whisper over my head, but a clear rivulet streamed at my feet. The day was calm, the air soft, and all was rudeness, silence, and solitude. Before me, on either side, were high hills, which by hindering the eye from ranging, forced the mind to find entertainment for itself. Whether I spent the hour well, I know not, for here I first conceived the thought of this narration. Mm. We were in this place at ease and by choice, and had no evils to suffer or to fear. Yet the imaginations excited by the view of an unknown and untravelled wilderness are not such as arise in the artificial solitude of parks and gardens. A flattering notion of self-sufficiency, a placid indulgence of voluntary delusions, a secure expansion of the fancy, or a cruel concentration of the mental powers. The phantoms which haunt a desert are want, and misery and danger. The evils of dereliction rush upon the thoughts. Man is made unwillingly acquainted with his own weakness, and meditation shows him only how little he can sustain and how little he can perform. There are no traces of inhabitants, except perhaps a rude pile of clods called a summer hut, in which a herdsman had rested in the favourable seasons. Whoever had been in the place where I then sat, unprovided with provisions and ignorant of the country, might, at least before the roads were made, have wandered among the rocks till he had perished with hardship, before he could have found either food or shelter. Yet what are these hillocks of the ridges of Taurus, or these spots of wilderness to the deserts of America? Perhaps no surprise that the author of the dictionary is not short on words. On, on verbosity. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but that's no. pretty much his portfolio of how he's... And, and we should talk about what the purpose of their tour is. It's really to give him... Make those introductions. Yeah. But also to give him a kind of geographical and, and historical survey, anthropological survey yeah. maybe, of Scotland. Yeah, because I think he's, he, he's, he'd laboured under some misapprehensions of Scotland for a while. Yeah. And I think Boswell was finally sick of it. But it's not marketed as an intervention, although it's just... No. Perhaps that is <laughs> may actually what's going be. on. No one ever does that anymore. Just like, I'm going to go and write my thoughts on this place I've never been to. Yeah. But, uh, Johnson says at some point, to write of cities of your own island with the solemnity of geographical description, as if we had been cast upon a newly discovered coast as the appearance of a very frivolous... Ha, uh, sorry, has the appearance of very frivolous ostentation. But luckily, nobody knows Scotland. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, the difference between their two... So th this book, this I I copy of it, which we're saying you should read, To the Hebrides, alternates, we haven't actually mentioned that yet, mm -hmm. with entries between Johnson's tour or diary yeah. of a certain couple of days, and then it goes to Boswell's. So you get two different versions of the, the same, same event, bit, which is... And it's great. Whole, and I think yeah. this is potentially the best way to read them. Yeah, definitely, yeah. Because Johnson's one alone is v v quite dry and academical. But Boswell's one. Well, sometimes, sometimes, Some, well, sometimes. It's, but it's yeah. it, it's more it, it's more like like you say a survey. Yeah. But Boswell's one is sort of. Well, he says itself, my account will be as novel like as what strictly true can be. Yeah. And it really, I mean, it, his does read like. A yeah. Novel. Well, John. So J Johnson's watching Scotland, and Boswell's watching Johnson watch Scotland. Ronald Black, the guy who's made mm -hmm. edited this edition, has a, a great quote where he just says, um, "Boswell serves the function of Johnson's camera crew." during this tour yeah pretty much which is yeah, yeah. Like best way of summing it up really but he, he does he has some um, uh, worries about it Boswell he says perhaps I put too, uh, perhaps I put down too many things in this journal I have no fanners in my head at least no good ones to separate wheat from chaff <laughs> but Johnson has no such worries no. <laughs> um, yet for as much as I put down what is written falls greatly short of the quantity of thought a page of my journal is like a cake of portable soup a, li <laughs> a little might be diffused into a considerable portion <laughs> so a little bit of modesty then it's quickly turning into a, a bit of conceit yes well because this is also important to note, this is a, a time when recreational travel has only just started being a thing. Yeah. This is not... There, there, there would have been people who still alive at this time whose forefathers had never left the surrounding areas to whatever yeah. village they lived in. Yeah. And so the world really was opening up. Yeah. And I think John, Johnson's great wish was to see the Great Wall of China, mm. which he never got to see. But that was that kind of ambition was now available to people. If, mm. they, if they had the means and the time and the money to make it to the Great Wall of China, they yeah. could have, but 100 years before... No chance. No chance. No. So, uh, if, so if, even, even them travelling to the very north of their own country yeah. was seen as adventurous. Yeah. So after they leave Glenshiel, once Johnson is getting a bit into the trip, they go first to Skye, then to Rasay, then back to Skye again, then to Col, Mull, Ulver, 
Inchkenneth, Iona, Mulligan. Mulligan. Um, as, as the chapters, as the are, chapters called. are called. Um, and then Highlands again, Lowlands again, and end up back in Edinburgh. So that's their route. Sort yeah. of a circular route-ish. Well, they do they, they, they do go to Glasgow as well, which was interesting. Oh, very briefly, yeah. yeah. And it, it gets another kind of thing, like, Glasgow is so well-known, it's pointless to describe. Yeah. <laughs> well, because I think Glasgow would have been the, the hotspot of the transatlantic slave trade. Yeah. Would have been quite interesting to hear would have been thought, in, yeah, actually. But yeah. guess, guess not, not today. So let's talk about a few of their preoccupations throughout the trip. They are, both of them, very interested in the current location of uh, Bonnie Prince Charles. The whereabouts of one, of one Bonnie Prince Charles. You, yeah. could, you could almost suspect that they, they suspect every Scot, Scottish person secretly knows where he is. <laughs> and they, and this isn't telling they, them. They bring it up with almost everybody. Well, I think it's, it's not even a Scottish person, I think, because even, even Boswell is suspicious of the Highlanders. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, where, where is he? Where is come he? Come on, on tell us. Come on, lads. But I mean, he is, so he's alive, but he's in exile. At, in... This, at, at this point, they, they don't know this, but, yeah. you know, dramatic irony, we know that he was in France at this point. Yeah. Uh, but... Right, Was he? because uh, he died in Rome. But I think he'd, in, he'd, he'd retired he to the French court or something. He was in Paris for quite a while, yeah. yeah. But the um the the woman credited with saving his life in yeah. the Highlands is Flora Macdonald, and would you know they meet her? Would they know they meet her? The um the subject of the um the Sky Boat song, yeah, and lucky to an, be alive, yeah, on an, on an open boat to Sky. So yeah, I've got a there's there's a section here where they meet. They're they're in the house of Macdonald. <laughs> here we go. <clears throat> there was a comfortable parlour with a good fire, and a dram of admirable Holland's gin went round. By and by supper came, when there appeared his spouse, the celebrated Miss Flora. She was a little woman, of a mild and genteel appearance, mighty soft and well-bred. To see Mr. Samuel Johnson salute Miss Flora MacDonald was a wonderful romantic scene to me. This is Boswell talking, by the way. Johnson's mentioned, of course it's Boswell talking. There was a Mrs. MacDonald, wife to James, and a brother of Kingsborough's, and one of his sons. We had as genteel a supper as one would wish to see, in particular, an excellent roasted turkey, porter to drink at table, and after supper, claret and punch. We're going to get back to the food because oh, the God, food, yeah, the descriptions yeah. of the food. Also the descriptions of women. Yeah, both, both, both need addressed. But what I admired was the perfect ease with which everything went on. My facility of manners, as Adam Smith said of me, had fine play. He's another, not without conceit, Another is he, horrible name drop. Yeah. Miss Flora, for so I shall call her, told me she had heard upon the mainland as she was returning to Skye about a fortnight before this that... Mr. Boswell was coming to Skye, and one Mr. Johnson, a young English buck, <laughs> with him. He was highly entertained with this event, and speaking of the afternoon which we had passed at Anok, he said, I, being a buck, had miss in to make tea. <laughs> or some such expression about McQueen's daughter. <laughs> he was rather quiescent tonight, and went early to bed. I was in a cordial humour and promoted a cheerful glass. Punch was super excellent, super one excellent. word, and we drank three bowls of it. Honest Mr. McQueen said of me, his governor's gone to bed. My heart was sore to reflect that Kingsborough had fallen sorely back in his affairs, was, was under a load of debt, and intended to go to America. I slept in the same room with Mr. Johnson. Each had a neat, clean bed in an upper chamber. Now here's where we get on to, to Charlie. Monday, 13th September. Last night's jovial bout disturbed me somewhat, but not long. The room where we lay was a room indeed. Each bed had tartan curtains, and Mr. Johnson's was the very bed in which the prince lay. To see Mr. Samuel Johnson lying in Prince Charles's bed in the Isle of Skye in the house of Miss Flora MacDonald struck me with such a group of ideas that it is not easy for words to describe as the mind perceives them. <laughs> he smiled and said, I have, I have had no ambitious thoughts in it. I have had no ambitious <laughs> thoughts in it. That's so good. The room was decorated with a great variety of maps and prints. I'm going to skip ahead to where... He spoke of the prince being here and said to Mrs. MacDonald, who was with him? We were told in England there was one Miss Flora MacDonald with him. She said she, they were very right. Then she very obligingly told him of out of her own mouth how she had agreed to carry the prince with her out of Lewis. When it was known he was there, the country was full of troops and the coast surrounded with ships. He passed as her maid, an Irish girl, Betty Burke. They set <laughs> off in a small boat. The people on shore, shore fired after them to bring them to, but they went forward. They landed in Skye. She got a horse and her maid walked beside her which it seems is common in this part of the world. But Betty looked somewhat awkward in women's clothes. They came to Mugstot. She dined at table with Lady Margaret MacDonald. Where was an officer who com commanded a party watching for the prince, <laughs> at whom she had often laughed in good humour afterwards as having deceived him? And her maid was, I do not remember where. Yeah. 
There's a whole detailed history of the escape of Bonnie Prince Charlie later on, yeah. um, uh, including his uh, rather Mr. Toad-like dressing up as a, a maid, Betty Betty Book or Betty, Betty Brooke? Bo- I'd say Betty uh, Betty Book. Betty Book, okay. Um, and it, th- this, th- on the subject of celebrity cameos, there's a, um, there's a few. I've mentioned um, Garrick, uh, David Garrick, the actor, who was responsible for making the uh, portrayal of Petruchio from Taming of the Shrew uh, inseparable from having a big whip. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but he's part of the uh, intellectual club that uh, both Boswell and Johnson are a member of. Yes. And he's subject of several <laughs> sort of... Uh, he'd previously been a student of Johnson. He obviously yes. adores Johnson, but Johnson repeatedly puts him down. <laughs> I'm not going to quote all of them, but there's just one really good one. They're talking about ghosts. We'll come on to what they think uh-huh. about the supernatural in a bit. But he... Um, they're talking about simultaneously about Garrick's naturalness of performance and ghosts. And he says, well, if you saw a ghost, Dr. Johnson, would you not shrink back as Garrick would on stage? And Johnson says, no, sir, for I may frighten the ghost. <laughs> um, and there's also um, Goldsmith, the playwright, yeah. um, who has a little bit, a little bit about hating the fact that Johnson insists on calling him Goldie. Um, <laughs> and he also calls uh, Boswell, Bozzy. 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 I start calling you Barky. Barky. Well, I feel like I've, whenever whenever you say when they say Bozzy, it just makes me think of 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 like Fozzy and Fozzy Wick Fuzzy, from yeah, the yeah. Christmas Carol, Muppets Christmas Carol. Yeah, there are other preoccupations. Then um, there are a number of topics that jump out as being as contemporary. One really fleeting one is whilst they're in Edinburgh, they uh, Johnson remarks on the high quantity of homeless people yeah. beggars he calls them in edinburgh but, but it says they're very well behaved he says they're not clamorous as they would be in london yeah um <laughs> and there's also as you've um I i'm not sure if we've mentioned but there's obviously quite a lot of talk about scottish independence yes. johnson holding forth in front of lots of edinburgh folk that uh, it's a terrible idea and you you wouldn't know what you were missing as boswell's <laughs> going <laughs> and just trying to change the subject well there's um, he, he, he does less and less of that as they go more and more north and the people are more and more visibly armed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Keeps 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 quiet. But there's um yeah, there's a it's a very political bent to this whole book. Mm. And it's the sense that so the the version we have has the um the libel restored and the, <laughs> the, the the sort of the treasonous outrage. I think on the back here. He also, uh, Ronald Black restores to Boswell's text 20,000 words from his journal, which were denied entry to his book because they were intimate defamatory about the islands rather than Johnson. I think most of the defamatory stuff was about the king. The king? About James, yeah. Ah, right. And I think that when Boswell writes about Johnson for public consumption, he talks about how loyal a patriot he is and how monarchical his ideas are. But then in private, he writes about how Johnson had some very anti-monarchal... yeah ideas that he would often present in private so yeah they talk at one point about how how easily johnson can flip from subject to subject and yes. uh, boswell says of him johnson appeared to me a great mill into which a subject is thrown to be ground <laughs> um, <laughs> which makes i think maybe may maybe a slight dig at johnson being a bit of a bore mm. to the point where he will expound upon a subject until it's no longer interesting <laughs> until it's dead, dead. Yeah. yeah um but it says a lot about their friendship too which is part of the whole reason to read this book it's so funny to see the interplay between the two of them they are like an old couple really just as they're setting off from edinburgh this is what james boswell says of johnson's interaction with his daughter yeah um mr johnson was pleased with my daughter veronica then a child of about four months old she had the appearance of the appearance of listening to him his motions seemed to her to be intended for her amusement and when she he, he stopped she fluttered and made a little infantine noise infantine um, a little infantine noise and a kind of signal for him to begin again. She would be held close to him, which was proof from simple nature that his figure was not horrid. I think that's a direct rebuttal to some of the comments that were made about him in newspapers and stuff. Ah, uh, okay. To sort yeah. of um, belittle him. Because out of nowhere, it sounds like, honestly, he's not horrid. But um, I, I honestly think he was presented in the papers of the time as being a monster. Quite gruesome, so, yeah. yeah. Um, her fondness for him endeared her still more to me, and I declared she would have 500 pounds of additional fortune. <laughs> Just based on that, it's like, well done. So, you've uh, impressed Samuel Johnson. You've impressed Samuel Johnson and earned yourself 500 quid. So, yeah, uh, their their whole characters are quite strange because... Boswell seems like, like we've said, a bit more of a lad and the more uh, sort of 
I don't know. He's there for a good time more than Johnson is. Yeah. Most of the scenes of them doing something stupid mm. are preceded by a couple of sentences saying, we drank four or five balls of we, yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, um, Boswell saying, I woke up much, much the worse for wear. Oh, I've, I've, I've got that bit here, actually. Okay, yeah, let's go for that. Oh, where are you? Because they're... Um, their, their, their drinking habits are hilarious. Here we go. <clears throat> Dr. Johnson went to bed soon. When one bowl of bunch, punch was finished, I rose, I rose and was near the door. In my way upstairs to bed, but... What's it? Oh, I've, I've always forget how to pronounce this. Uh, Cory Cor, Catacan said it was his first time Carl had been drinking in his house, and he, should have ha- and he should have his bowl, and would not I join in drinking it? The heartiness of my honest landlord and the desire of doing social honour to our very obliging conductor induced me to sit down again. Cole's, Cole's ball was finished, and by that time we were well warmed. A third ball was soon made, and that too was finished. We were cordial and merry to a high degree, but of what passed I have no recollection with any accuracy. I remember calling Cory Catacan by the familiar appellation of Corrie, which his friends do. A fourth ball was made, by which time Cole and young McKinnon, Cory Catacan's son, slipped away to bed. I continued little with Corrie and Knock now, but at last I left them. It was near five in the morning when I got to bed, Sunday, 26th of September. I awaked at noon with a severe headache. <laughs> I was much vexed that I should have been guilty of such a riot and afraid of reproof from Dr. Johnson. I thought it very inconsistent with that conduct which I ought to maintain while the compassion of the while while the companion of the Rambler. He was given the nick Johnson was given the nickname of the Rambler. Yeah. Because he, 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 he had a newspaper he, called the Rambler. Newspaper called the Rambler, yeah. About one, he, about one, he came into my room and accosted me. What? Drunk yet? His tone of voice was not that of severe upbraiding, so I was relieved a little. Sir, said I, they kept me up. He answered, no, you kept them up, you drunken dog. <laughs> <laughs> that he said with a good-humoured English pleasantry. Soon afterwards, Corrie Catechan, Cole and other friends assembled round my bed. Corrie had a brandy bottle and glass with him and insisted that I should take a dram. Aye, said Dr. Johnson, fill him drunk again. Do it in the morning that we may laugh at him all day. A skulk. It is a poor thing for a fellow to get drunk at night and skulk to bed and let his friends have no sport. Yeah. A skulk, they call it. The, the dram in the morning. I think it's the morning dram they call a skulk. Hair of the dog. Yeah. Um, they also bicker about the size of mountains at one point. Like Boswell says, look at that massive mountain. And Samuel Johnson says, it's not that massive. And then a bit later on, Boswell calls a mountain immense. And Johnson replies, no, sir, but it is a considerable protuberance. Because <laughs> I, I like the idea of them spending days at a time on the road with nothing to do but look at mountains. Yeah. And they've resorted to arguing about to how argue large they are. About, yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is a lot of very sweet stuff about their their friendship um i don't think johnson says this of boswell but this is the sort of tone of warmth you get from reading this book he says of someone and again this could be taken as a dig he puts something into the company and takes nothing out of it (laughs) um doesn't sound like he makes a huge impression whoever that guy is well Um, there's there's, there's a few ways to read that mm. i would i would read it as either he's he's a good time to be around but he doesn't listen to anybody yeah which i think is Half a dig, half a compliment, yeah. which I think is 90% nice, of what these two say about each nice other. Nice but dim. Yeah, nice but dim. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Um, so there's a lot of talking, there's discussions of Homer, um, death, transubstantiation, big um, big topics big leading topics. into topics of, to much earthier topics um, <laughs> like breakfast. Yes. Um, All the food. Quite early on, there's something like uh, oh, I, the food. his first his first experience Johnson's first experience with um, Scottish food is some dried haddock, yes, um, which he disliked the presence of and had it removed. <laughs> well, he had some um, he had some stovies. He as does, well. yeah. Had some Aberdonian stovies. Mm-hmm. I can't um, remember if he likes those. I think he he finished them, or at least he yeah. he, he, he didn't ask them to be removed from his presence. Yeah. So much stuff about <clears throat> knives, forks, and spoons, particularly spoons. It is. It is bizarre that even in the Scottish stately homes, there is this absolute adherence to an English code of manners. Oh, yeah. Because it's not, it's not alien to Johnson. He knows exactly what he's doing. So they must, be using, they must be using things that he's familiar with, like how which, which spoon gets used for what and who gets served when and who takes first bite and who does the toast. And it does go. It's it's like in um, have you have you read the Game of Thrones books? No. Where George R. R. Martin's scene setting 
largely consists of what food people are eating in any one moment. So a, a feast scene, there'll be about a page and a half description of what the food was like. Yeah. And, it, and it's getting on for that where every day f- or follows an almost kind of a structure where they're like, we woke up, we had this for breakfast. We breakfasted well or we breakfasted very poorly and, res- and became despairing. There was a time where they got to... I think it might have actually have been in Glen Shields mm. where they have they, they stay at an inn where all they're given is um, a lemon and bread for breakfast. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's uh, a, running, a running thing of Johnson and his lemonade. He loves his lemonade. And uh, someone puts a sugar cube in it with their fingers and he throws it out of the window. That was, that was, in, um, <laughs> that, that was the... Um, that's that, that, early that, on. That's what I was alluding to earlier when he said there'd been a disturbance. Yeah, Because yeah. the first thing Johnson does when he gets to Edinburgh before Boswell arrives to meet him it's is get into a fight with a bartender. For throwing the lemonade bartender, out the window. <laughs> because the bartender stirred his lemonade with his finger. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, did you notice that they uh, they share our thoughts on a Scottish breakfast? Oh yeah. You remember? remember oh, oh, no, it yeah, was yeah, in yeah. a recent foul papers. Oh no! We, I'm, yeah, yeah. Do you, have, do, about, do you have the quote there? Uh, I'm trying to find it. While you find that, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a little bit about how. So in in, in the centre fold of the book, there are contemporary uh, wood carved printing press style illustrations from the time and they are fantastic because mm. they would have been i'm assuming boswell's one would have been published serially so these probably would have accompanied a chapter head or wherever they were published at the time and there's pictures of johnson and boswell doing a jig there's a there's, there's a depiction of boswell rebuking of, of johnson rebuking boswell after his night of drinking and there's a they're both sitting at a table boswell clasps his head in his hands and there's a sick bucket next to him uh there is um johnson destroying books in a library that he doesn't like yeah there's um him getting drunk and dancing atop a hill the famous one of them uh swooping through edinburgh yep which will be featured on our um artwork absolutely and the the cover of the book is them on on duncan drinking punch and brandy and yeah. doing a reel nice which is lovely yeah, they agree with us about the Scottish breakfast. Remember, we had this whole thing about what which is a better breakfast. Scottish breakfast. Yeah. Um, not long after the dram or scalk, maybe expected the breakfast, a meal which the Scots, whether of lowlands or mountains, must be confessed to excel us. The tea and coffee are accompanied not only with butter, but with honey, conserves and marmalades. If an epicure could remove by a wish in quest of sensual gratifications, wherever he supped, he would breakfast in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> he, also, he also says later, though... Um, uh, but, but, but this part of their diet would admit some improvement. He's talking about something else now. Though they have milk and eggs and sugar, few of them know how to compound them in a custard. <laughs> uh, oh, he um, he's he's, he's very even-handed with his with his compliments and his rebukes. Yeah. He gives one compliment, and he has to very quickly follow very it quickly up. Do it, do it off with another. So, um, in terms of the rebukes of the Scottish, one of my favourite ones was actually Boswell. Uh, he's talking to Rasse, uh-huh. the laird of Rasse, and who uh, they don't really get on with. No, he's an imposing Cause, man. Because he's a bit... Um, they insults Hume and Voltaire, and Boswell says, to see this ruffian discuss Hume and Voltaire was like seeing him in a toupee and a, and a, a French fop's essence or something like that. But uh, he goes out for a walk with him, either before... I think it's before this, and he just says, we had a solid, easy, feudal chat. <laughs> oh... I do, I do enjoy the amount of... So basically, when they arrive at a place they're being put up, three things have to happen. They've got to have a giant <laughs> feast, they've got to go for a walk and look at some geology, Yeah, and then they've got to argue about politics. They've got to argue about politics. Yeah, he, uh, but Johnson in particular rails against people emigrating to America. But he does, eventually, he does pick up on the fact that there's a serious discontent in the Highlands. Mm, well, this is, um, this is around Highland clearances or clock. Yeah. Which is when the landowners up in Scotland realised that there was more money in raising cattle than there was in raising villages. Yeah. So they turfed out all of their tenants to go wherever, wherever, wherever you wanted to, as long as it wasn't on my land. Yeah. And most of them ended up emigrating to America, which or Johnson calls an epidemic of wandering, which yeah. which sounds very ironic in a book which he's written about 
wandering. basically arsing around in Scotland. <laughs> but no one, it's um, and it was it was that event that led to the Scottish diaspora, and yeah. up until like the seventies and eighties, the Proclaimers singing about mm. that. And I've got there's there's a good bit here about um. Johnson and Boswell's opinion on tenancy and the responsibilities of landlords. Yeah, oh yeah. Which is a very current topic, especially in the UK, about the rights of people who live in places and the people who allow them to live there. The day was passed without much conversation, only upon my observing that there must be something bad in a man's mind who does not like to give leases to his tenants, but to keep them in a perpetual wretched dependence on his will. Mr. Johnson said I was right. Something they agree on, which is interesting. Wow. It is a man's duty, said he, to extend comfort and security among as many people as he can. He should not wish to have his tenants more mere ephemera, mere beings of an hour. I objected that they might grow insolent, which was very disagreeable, and I put him in mind that he had said that an English tenant was so independent that, if provoked, he would throw his rent at his landlord. Depend upon it, said he, it is the landlord's own fault if it is thrown at him. A man may always keep his tenants under dependence enough, though they have leases. He must be a good tenant, indeed, who will not fall behind his rent, who will not fall behind in his rent if his landlord will let him. And if he does fall behind, his landlord has him at his mercy, indeed, said he. The poor man is always much at the mercy of the rich, no matter whether master or tenant. If the tenant lets his landlord have a little rent beforehand, or has lent him money, then the landlord is in his power. There cannot be a greater man than a tenant who has lent money to his landlord, for he is under subjection the very man to whom he should be subjected. <laughs> He's got a plan for everything. Yeah. Do you remember that really random bit where he has uh, he has a scheme, having decided not to bring their guns, he has a scheme of what he would do if confronted by a large dog. <laughs> he said, he, Johnson says, oh, it's very simple, actually. You just grab it by the hind legs and then sort of smash its brains against against the floor yeah. that's how you deal with a dog it just comes out of nowhere yeah and i think it, this i think this comes from a kind of sort of cabin fever state they probably found themselves in yeah where they were they were probably imagining situations and what yeah. they would do if they were um, uh, i think that's once them. they're back in edinburgh as well that's really late on yeah but um i forgot to mention when we were talking about the laird's that one of my favourite bits was meeting the Isle of Muck. Oh. And I mean meeting the Isle, Isle of, of Muck, Muck. Because if you're the laird of one of the um, the islands, you, you take the name of it. So Rosay is Rosay. Rosay. Mull is Mull. Muck is Muck. And, and he spent, hates it. Yeah, and he hates it. And they've been, they've been putting money, they've been putting hard capital in trying to get the name changed to Monk. Monk, yeah. And as the island is still called Muck to this day, he was unsuccessful. But but so as a compromise, instead of being referred to as Muck, he insisted on being referred to as the Isle of Muck. The Isle of Muck. And uh, it was so funny because they, they keep saying, like, oh, we really wanted to actually meet the Isle of Muck, but he wasn't around. They don't go to Muck, do they? they, they no, miss it. They and they, um, they also try, he also tries to avoid being called Muck by a skit to be pronounced Mwak. Mwak. <laughs> M-U-A-C-K. Do not call me Muck. I'm Mwak. There's a lot of time spent in the libraries of Laird's. And Johnson will occasionally find a sort of rare volume. Truffling after us. That yeah. he will um, insist that Boswell buys for him. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a couple of times where they, they go up a... Well, Boswell wants to see a giant rock. Yeah. But Johnson doesn't think he can make the climb. So Boswell's like, you just sit here and have a read, Johnson, and I'll go up the hill and have I'll a look, at, look the rock. at rocks. And Johnson has found a book. I think he's found it in like a ferry master's office or something. Yeah. Somewhere strange where it shouldn't be and it's a rare volume and he's interested in it and he calls it his treasure mm. and he, he ties his hat on to his head with his handkerchief and sits down and has a read and i think that's quite nice yeah um they eat uh they eat a lot but they also they comment on the natural history a bit but really with only focus on mainly the focus is on how well they eat yes um so they see curlews which they've never seen before and in a in the space of a sentence go from looking at them to eating them, them and saying um, they were okay actually and they didn't taste too <laughs> rancidly of the sea or something like that well there's um there's a time there is it call they're kicking about on call when they um they see a, a little boy fishing yeah and cuddies. cuddies and i wanted to look that up because yeah he said oh there's plenty of cuddies to catch but i'm not sure what a cuddy is um, i'm assuming it's a fish that would have probably changed its name because johnson didn't know didn't didn't recognize the fish yeah and he compared them in abundance to white bait in the thames yeah and he, but he said they couldn't. He said, "Oh, it's something like if only Scotland could rely on its fishing all year round, but then the winter comes and kills all the fish." Yeah, the uh, otters seem to be a lot bigger than they are now. Yeah, wouldn't there's reference to someone catching an otter and holding it up next to him, and it's taller than he is. 
Which I I I doubt. I have I a doubt. feeling. That I think I think there's quite a lot of things that you could there's read. Some as, tall tales. Yeah, the Scot the Scots winding them up. It's like, yeah, I found an otter. It was twice the size of you, Mister Johnson. I'm, I'm I'm I am quite surprised that nobody tried to feed Johnson the haggis line. That they, they that they are living creatures that run around. Oh yes, yeah. Killed the haggis myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, otters are also white, apparently. Which I, I don't, I'm I I'm know. part of me wonders if he's mistaken a seal for an otter yeah. or something or just a sheep because they really they 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 have a very glancing interest in natural history has to be said they sort of say they're going to talk about it more can than we eat do. it yes can or no? we eat it you know because well, um, at one point he says sorry the goats of the hebrides are like others nor did i hear anything of their sheep which is to be particularly remarked that's it <laughs> and i think at, at this point sheep grazing in scotland was a hot issue so there was probably a, a hell of a lot of sheep about he just didn't care he's just like fuck it you know, goats are goats sheep are sheep <laughs> Well, because the 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 other the other main bit of natural history that they like to get into is whenever the laird takes them around the, his land, foxes. he likes to sh- foxes, yeah. and he likes to show them whatever sort of geological oddity yeah. that happens to be on his land. If there's like a big tall pillar of rock that's yeah. hollow, or if there's a cave, they he will they will inevitably be shown a cave or a pillar or some kind of hanging arch, and they'll go, it was quite nice. A cave where um, people were burnt quite yeah. a, a couple of times. I, can't even, I couldn't work out if they were referring to the same story of, or if the same practice happened a few times, but um, one clan would chase another clan into a cave and then basically the cave on fire. suffocate them or yeah. burn them to death. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's quite grim. I wondered if the... Because apparently otters are like to a penny. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I wondered if it was pre-mink, and it is. There's still there's still a, there's a there's a few otters up north. I've been to an otter sanctuary. Oh yeah, no, there are a few, but it sounds like they're really easy to spot when yes. Boswell and Johnson are walking around. Oh, there's um, another otter. Yeah, another one, another massive six foot white otter. Can we eat it? Yeah. <laughs> so we said uh, Boswell's a bit more novelistic. He absolutely loves his wife. Ah, uh, until um, until somebody else crosses his field until, of vision. Until yeah, he sees any other woman, although not any other woman, as we'll get into. But he um, there's a lot of uh, you wonder if he is putting it in there to please his wife, yes. just how much he's missing his wife, I, how much he's reading Penelope and Ulysses and moping over the fact that he misses his wife. It's a bit ridiculous. He's gone for like yes. three or four months. When you, read his, um, when you read his then private papers, which have been published now. I banged Flora MacDonald. Yes. <laughs> it was, it was his, his time in London was, he, he, he basically cops to being a sex addict at one point. Yeah. And he said that he completely lost himself to all, all vices. He caught most of the common venereal diseases of the day. He regularly got prostitutes pregnant and had to pay them off. He was probably probably exemplary of the sort of kind of wealthy youth that would have been going about London at that time. Yeah, I think as he gets older and less able to perform... <laughs> His um and more and more riddled with scrofula. <laughs> his um his, his his anecdotes about women taper off because I'm assuming he either doesn't have the energy or nobody wants him anymore. Yes, but it's not the, the depictions of women in this book vary wildly from well sycophantic to incredibly demeaning and insulting. Very early on, he meets one of his former flames, who he, he admits is a former flame. But from all of his descriptions of women, I would say, you would think that he despises them. Yeah. Loves it. He's the classic sort of um, misogynist who loves his wife and hates all other women. Yes. That kind of misogynist. But um, he says... He, she, he's been invited to tea with this former flame and her husband, so there's no reason for things to be uncomfortable. I was in a kind of uneasiness from thinking that I should see a great change upon her at the distance of 12 years, but I declare I thought she looked better in every respect, except that some of her foreteeth were spoiled. <laughs> Why would you include that in something that got published? If you, you had a night, and it's a completely uneventful well, tea. Of, part of me is wondering if that was the kind of thing that was cut. Yeah, and then put back in. And then put back in for her. For our reading. He also says um, of one uh, Laird's wife, I think it's a Laird, his lady was, though not a beauty, one of the most agreeable women I saw. And the entire description of another woman is, Mrs. McKinnon was a well-behaved... <laughs> Mrs. McKinnon was a decent, well-behaved old gentlewoman in a black silk gown. Well, that's it. That's, that's all it. she gets. She, that's all she gets, yeah. Well, there was um, the, the, the description of Flora MacDonald, I'm assuming, is only as long as it is because of who she is. Yeah, yeah. If it was any other woman, he would probably have... Glanced over her a in favour of in decent, favour of talking well-behaved. about whatever book Johnson had ferreted yeah. out of a library. You know. Well, Johnson actually does have a, a weird bit on. He, generally, he doesn't talk about women that much. Johnson. John Johnson is almost sexless in a way. Yeah, but he does say this. 
Um, but again, this is almost in the tone of someone surveying women as if he is a Martian. Yes. Um, the ladies have as much beauty here as in other places, but bloom and softness are not to be expected among the lower classes whose faces are exposed to the rudeness of the climate and whose features are sometimes contracted by want and sometimes hardened by the blasts. Supreme, <laughs> the blasts. Supreme beauty is seldom found in cottages or workshops, where even where no real hardships are suffered. To expand the human face to its full perfection, it seems necessary that the mind should cooperate by placidness of content or consciousness of superiority. Woo! Ooh. Samuel. I, uh, I wrote next to my note of that, eesh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, that's pretty much his only reference to uh, the ladies. Well, there is the, um, speak, speaking of food and ladies, there is, on the very last page yeah. of the journal, is a reference to a family whose hospitality they enjoyed on their way back from Edinburgh down to London. And they've killed one of their prize sheep in order for Samuel Johnson oh, to, yeah. <laughs> to sample upon. And he has, he, has, he has this to say about the event. Next morning at breakfast, a scene truly ridiculous was exhibited. Sir John, who had boasted much of his seven-year-old sheep, which he had killed on purpose for Dr. Johnson, and which it was plain could not yet be eat all up, asked the doctor whether he chose to have the foreleg or the hindleg to dinner. And having put the question, his lady voted foreleg. This contrivance failed, for it, for it being explained to Dr. Johnson that in the Scottish dialect, foreleg meant shoulder, in opposition to what alone is in England called leg he honestly said i vote hind leg to be sure he was certain of my vote and sir john who could not in decency deny his guess what he liked best was obliged to join poor lady dalrymple appeared much disconcerted and was an innocent victim to the censure of dr johnson who supposed she was unwilling to give us what was best he said to me afterwards sir this is an odious woman were i dalrymple i'd go entertain my friends at edinburgh and leave her to herself did you observe her when we voted leg sir she looked as if we had voted for roasting one of her children. <laughs> the truth, as I afterwards discovered, was that Sir John was not accurate in his information. There was no seven-year-old sheep killed and no leg in the house. Accordingly, none appeared for which some foolish excuse was made. Classic point scoring. So the, the other thing they talk about a lot is death yep. and, and superstition. Yep. Um, really early on, Boswell, he says, not- he leaves Johnson... Um, steps out of the uh, um, chaise and uh, ran up close to the gallows where Kenneth Leal hangs in chains for robbing the mail. Uh, as he had not hung about two months, the body was quite entire. It was still a man hanging. The sight impressed me with a degree of gloom. No shit. Mr. Johnson did not know of this, or, he told me afterwards, he would not have talked as he did, for he diverted himself with trying to frighten me as if the witches, because they're on the road to Forres where the Macbeth yeah. witches were... Um, as if the witches would come and dance at the foot of my bed. I said he would be the most frightened of the two, but that I would rather see three witches than one of anything else. I was really a little uneasy. However, the door of my room opened into his. This gave me security, and I soon fell asleep. It's quite sweet, <laughs> That's isn't it? That's quite nice. Um, <laughs> Boswell was a bit scared, but he had his friend with him. Boswell was scared. Yeah, he comes, he, to say he was a bit of a libertine, he comes off as a right wuss. He also says, because at one point, he almost ends up having to bunk up with someone and he's horrified Boswell and he says, I have a mortal aversion to sharing a bed with a man. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, and on the superstition death stuff, the uh-huh. second sight that oh, crops up. This is a This huge comes up vein. over and over again. Over and over again, the fact that the um, Scottish people, but particularly the population of Skye, all believe in the second sight. They can see. They Basically, they have prophecies. Yes. And um, they've both... Johnson and Boswell, uh, Johnson eventually comes down on it a bit harder, but they're quite perplexed open to, and right. open to the idea. Yeah, which surprised me, actually. Well, I think they were they, I think they were probably hit with some maybe like cold reading tactics. Yeah. Which I have a feeling could probably have swayed Johnson. Yeah, because uh, I suppose he is. Because I, I have a feeling he, he was going into these places expecting nothing from these people. Yeah, yeah. And they were probably quite clever. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hope they were having him on a bit. Me too. Like, oh, yeah, 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 second sight, we've all got it. Like, uh, he, like he, he, so he doesn't know that they get newspapers there. And um, <laughs> yeah. they've, they've been reading all about him for years. Yeah, yeah. Um, Boswell seems to have, well, fears that he's having a second sight because he sees his daughter dead. Oh, God, yeah, he has a bad really, dream, like, yeah. Grim moment. And then he has a, a nightmare of a massive spider coming up his... And into his mouth, yeah. Navel and into his mouth, which, again, is sort of like... 
it's just a nightmare, but it's, it's sort of it's written about by Boswell as if it's of the utmost importance to the trip. It's a kind of odd. Well, I think I think it's the the idea that they've learned about prophecy. Yeah, and yeah. now they're attributing significance. Was I going to, to get nightmares. eaten by a spider? Was one going to crawl into my mouth? Um, I thought there was in all of this talk of second sight. I thought there was a one quite peculiar moment. They were talking of Garrick again. Someone says we talked of the stage. I observed that we had not now such a company of actors as in the last age. Wilkes. Booth, etc. Wilkes Booth. Eighty years before an actor called Wilkes Booth shot, shot Lincoln, Lincoln in the back of the bit head. Odd. Yeah. Anyway, that was that was a bit of a just a, just a bit of bit of ephemera, random ephemera. <laughs> that was my own own um, superstition coming through. Well, there's, um, there's, I've, I've got another good bit here about their um, about their friendship. Oh yeah. And there's the bit where they're um, yeah. So they're on they're they're on Ulva. Oh, here we go. There's two bits here which relate. So Johnson, John, Johnson's found some books. Dr. Johnson found books here. He bade me buy Bishop Gastrell's Christian Institute, which was lying in the room. He said, I do not like to read anything on a Sunday, but what is theological? Not that I would scrupulously refuse to look at anything which a friend should show me in a newspaper, but in general, I would read only what is theological. I read just now some of Drummond's travels before I perceived what books were here. And then I took up Derham's Psychical theology. Every particular well concerning this island having been so well described by Dr. Johnson, it'd be superfluous for me to present the public with the observations that I made upon it in my journal. Dr. Johnson here showed so much spirit of a Highlander that he won Sir Alan's heart. Indeed, he has shown it during the whole of our tour. One night in call, he strutted about the room with a broadsword and target and made a formidable appearance. Target's a shield. And another night, I took, his li- I took the liberty to put a large blue bonnet on his head. His age, his size, and his bushy grey wig with his covering on it presented the image of a venerable Seneca, and however unfavourable to the lowland Scots, he seemed much pleased to assume the appearance of an ancient Caledonian. So many of the funny bits get funnier when you remind yourself, oh, he's in a wig. <laughs> on top of everything, he's always wearing a wig. They are, they're, they're still dressed in their full 18th century, yeah. upper middle class get-up. Keep forgetting he's wearing a wig. Yeah. yeah. I haven't got much more, but in just just in terms of we've we've talked about them as if we're you know we're laughing at them, um, and to a degree that's part of the pleasure of the book. Of well, I think I think it's cattiness and that kind of thing. But I think part of it's meant to be read that way. Yeah, definitely. But there are some genuinely wonderful, wonderful quotes, including this, which I was gonna is my last bit to read out. Um, this is towards the end of the journey, and I can't remember who they're talking to, but Sir John, having affected to complain of the actors made, uh, sorry. Sir John, having affected to complain of the attacks made upon his memoirs, Dr. Johnson said, Nay, sir, do not complain. It is advantageous to an author that his book should be attacked as well as praise. Fame is a shuttlecock. If it be struck only at one end of the room, it will soon fall to the ground. To keep it up, it must be struck at both ends. I I thought that's that's really nice. Well, they are both clearly very well-educated yeah, very good conversationalists, and they bounce off each other very well. Yeah, I do think that I think somebody, probably fucking Voltaire or something, mm. has made a quote about Boswell that one of the best conversationalists. Yeah, maybe doesn't maybe oh, what was it? It was something about he may he may not have been one of the greatest conversationalists, but he was good. But he had the ability to get the best out of other people. Yeah. Which I think pairs him fantastically well with Johnson, who had within him the ability to come out with things like that. Yeah, and I guess the in wrapping up the the pleasure of the book really is. I mean, you have to reconcile yourself to the fact that you either make a grand theme or you accept that there isn't one. The pleasure of reading a book like this is that two conversationalists uh, do kind of shuttlecock from topic to topic, yeah. and you know you will have an equal amount of attention on breakfast as transubstantiation and um uh develop a second sight on the isle of sky second sight um lost languages to spoons that kind of thing uh drunken drunken antics to bonnie prince charlie it's it's all there and it's um it's a kind of it's a special kind of book that can contain it's a a joy it's an absolute joy it is a joy and I think, I think as, as we round off our discussion on it, I think the closing words should go to Boswell, yes. who wrote a few years after its publication, Boswell's conclusion. Boswell's. M- most of it is um, him responding to criticism. And praise. And praise, and saying, making corrections or elaborating on bits that he didn't give so much detail. But the last couple of paragraphs are just a really nice 
conclusion to the book, and I'm glad it was published with this edition. <clears throat> Before I conclude, I think it proper to say that I have suppressed everything which I thought could really hurt anyone now living. Vanity and self-conceit indeed may sometimes suffer. With respect to what is related, I considered it my duty to extenuate nothing nor set down aught in malice. And with those lighter strokes of Dr. Johnson's satire, proceeding from a warmth and quickness of imagination, not from any malevolence of heart, and which, on account of their excellence, could not be omitted, I trust that they who are the subject of them have good sense and good temper enough not to be displeased. I have only to add that I shall ever reflect with great pleasure on a tour which has been the means of preserving so much of the enlightened and instructive conversation of one whose virtues will, I hope, ever be an object of imitation, and whose powers of mind were so extraordinary that ages may revolve before such a man shall again appear. Very nice. That is yeah. an ex yeah, let's leave it there. It's uh, it there. the only all I would say is have a read. Do. Yeah, read this. Ear read that. It's yeah. great. It's a great book to dip into. It's a great book to just read over the course of a few months alongside something else. Also, maybe read. maybe we've um, maligned the, the, the Scottish focus. If you were just wanting to, to read of one of the islands that they talk about, it, it is quite well, mm. it's well organized. So you can just read what they thought of Mull yeah, or what they thought of uh, Iona. As a, as a sort of first level histori historical source, it's fantastic. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Okay, well, um, we will be back next week. If you've got any questions pertaining to Boswell and Johnson or anything else, mm -hmm. you can email us at eareadthis at gmail.com or uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter, all Under of which are just name, yeah. eareadthis. Yeah. And we'll be talking about Johnson again soon, I hope. Yes, yes. I think, well, there's one that obviously comes to, comes to, to mind. mind, which we could do. But um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. <laughs>